Um, it's good to be with you this morning, church. We are continuing our study that we've been calling Setting Life in Order. Um, and we've been looking at a time in history where God did some big changes. Um, he, was, he, was, he was introducing himself, really, in a new way and saying, like, things are going to be different and, and I'm going to interact with you in a different way. Up until this point, I've been particularly involved with um, trying to get engaged with a people called Israel. And now I'm getting ready to, well, long story short, I'm getting ready to open up that book to everybody. I want everybody to be part of, of my story and what's going on. But in order to get there, he's setting some things in order. He's making some changes. And, and so what are the things that God's doing in the world to get ready for this massive shift? And then here's our application. What does that mean about the, the things that I need to change in my life? Or what are the things that I need to focus on in my life to make the changes that I think that God wants me to make? So that's setting life in order. We're looking at what God is doing in history and seeing if we can learn some principles that still apply across the board. All right? Um, and, and we are going back to talk about John. And, and who's familiar-ish or who feels like they're familiar with John? You probably know him as the first Baptist. <laughs> Kind of? Yeah, okay. I, he, here's the thing. I've been with, with folks who, like, legit will argue with me that John was the first Baptist, and what they mean by Baptist is the same thing that the Bible means by Baptist, and I don't think that he actually was. So I'll refer to him as John the Baptizer, because that's what he did. He baptized people. But, it, but when he said, when, when, when the text says John the Baptist, they're not talking about, like, Baptists, like First Baptist Church or whatever Baptist. It's not the same thing. So, just to get that clarification out of the way. <clears throat> I think we need to pray now, so let's do that. <laughs> God, we need you. We, we've sung it together already this morning, and it's not any less true in these moments than it was five or six ago. God, we need you to have perspective on our own hearts, to, to know what it is that's going on within us. And Lord, we need you to give us perspective on your word. So would you meet us in these moments? Would you continue to meet us in these moments? You're already here. And Lord, would you shape us? Shape us by your spirit through the word. And um, God, thanks so much. Thanks so much for your kindness to us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we'll be reading together in Luke chapter 3, beginning in Luke chapter 3. And if you're using the Blue Bibles, it's on page 1071. 1071 in the Blue Bibles, Luke chapter 3, if you need to tap or flip or, or however you'd like to navigate there. <coughs> and I get the privilege this morning of reading a bunch of Greek to you. So Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Here we go. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the regions of Eteria and Traconius, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written 
in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So I'll pause there. There's actually a lot packed into these verses that that we could spend a lot of time on, but I'm going to try and give you the things that are going to help set us up later. Um, So so there's a whole list of, of names here, and, and remember that the Luke is the person who's, who's writing this out, and Luke is a doctor. And one thing that Luke does that's really helpful for us is he gives us dates. But Luke didn't have a Gregorian cha- calendar, which is the calendar that we use because the Gregorian ch- calendar, calendar, calendar was developed by the Gregorians. And the Gregorians were Christians, and John wasn't Christian. He was Jewish because there weren't Christians yet because Jews hadn't died for sins, Right? So he didn't have that calendar, but the thing that he did have was there were a whole bunch of people in charge, and they were all in charge at the same time, and if you want to figure out who it is and what time this is happening, then look up at when all those people were in charge, and that's what's happening here. So those are your first couple of verses. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, he was the emperor over Rome. Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Judea being like the region of Rome that they were a part in. Like, and then it goes on, Herod and all the other names that I'm not going to repeat because I can't really... Wait. <coughs> but... He's given us a time. And for us, sitting here in 2020, what I'd like for us to, to pick up is like, hey, this, this happened in history. <laughs> There's times where we come to church and we think like, this is just church stuff. And like, I get to sing songs about redemption and salvation. And those are church words that I really, really like. But sometimes when we open the Bible, we forget that this happened to real life flesh and blood people. And here's another glimpse. Luke is reminding us that this happened and that there were things going on in the world other than what's happening right now, but this is also actually happening in the world. And what is it that's happening? John the Baptist is, uh, or John, the son of Zechariah, is in the wilderness, and the word of the God came to him. So who's John, son of Zechariah? Who's Zechariah? He, we actually have talked about him a little bit over the last couple of weeks. And he was, he was a high priest, and they had been barren. They hadn't been able to have children for a long, long time until he's in there in the temple doing prayers, and, and, and the angel shows up, and he's like, I don't know. And then he's not allowed to talk for, for nine months, and maybe he's deaf too. And, and, and now John, the baby, has grown up. And I mentioned before that when, when a new baby comes into the world, um, we have this sense of hope, this sense of expectation, this sense of, like, this child could be anything. And especially if an angel shows up and tells you, like, this child's going to be great, this is going to be good news, like, this is going to be a good kid. Like, you could be nervous about, like, well, what if, what if I mess him up? <laughs> and I wonder about Zechariah for sure, because he's like, man, I started this thing off on the wrong foot. Like, the angel came and told me, and then I wasn't allowed to talk after that. What if I mess this child up? So, hey, parents, here's the thing. Um, some of, there are things that God's doing in your kids' lives that's outside of your control, and like, He can do that. God can raise a teenager, whether or not we're able to, and get him to the point where he's actually doing the thing that God set him up to do from the beginning. So there's a there's a minor, maybe small, miracle that's happening in, in these verses that John grew up and he went out to do what God said he was going to do from the beginning. 
and the word of God came to him, and, and, and he spake it. He spoke it. And he went into all the regions around the Jordan, so the Jordan River, which is the big river that runs down the backbone of the country that they're in, the nation of Israel. And he was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So here's the thing. Um, I've got to explain to you some background here, and I, I don't want you to get lost in it, but I, I also need you to be aware of it. We like to think of baptism as a Christian thing. Um, and it was existing before us. So when Luke starts talking about a baptism of repentance of sins, he assumes that his readers already know what baptism is because Jewish people regularly, actually very regularly, were baptized. That was part of the reason why we read out of Exodus because God gave Israel the, the instructions like you need to consecrate yourselves, you need to wash, you need to set yourselves apart because I'm getting ready to do something big and you need to prepare yourselves to be ready for it. And so oftentimes, as, the, as Jewish people, were, actually they weren't allowed in the temple if they didn't do it, but if they would go to the temple to do, to do sacrifices, they would go and they would have to wash themselves. They would dunk themselves in water. Um, and the baths, they, they're called mikvahs. And, and the reason why, or one of the reasons why we know that happens is because you can't go anywhere in Jerusalem without like seeing a mikvah in the ground. They're just there. They're still there. We got all the dirt out of them, and when they excavated them, there's these mikvahs, and that was for washing. So here's, here's the thing. Jews bathed all the time. <laughs> not just like bath bath, but like ritually would bathe. So baptism's not the weird thing. Baptism is, is a thing that the people are familiar with. Baptism is a thing that they do every time they go to church for the Day of Atonement, essentially. Like, they know what this thing is. But what was unique about the message that John was preaching was this. It was baptism for the repentance for the forgiveness—baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That was new. The idea with baptism at the beginning was, I need to prepare myself, I need to get myself cleansed before I go into the presence of God. I'm cleansing myself in order to go to the presence of God. This is like, it's a, it's a baptism that I repent of the sins and, and, and my sins are cleansed already. Like it's not, I'm, I'm getting prepared to go and have my sins forgiven. It's like the baptism is the thing that signals that I've repented from my sins. I'm not going to do them anymore and I've been cleansed of them. That's, that's like, that was hard for people to grasp. But that's the new thing. And that's, that's the key turn that's the key turn that God is preparing through John for people to be ready when Jesus shows up. And, and he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. Now here's something that, that I think is fascinating. Um, there are four biographers of Jesus, people who sat down to write a biography of the life of Jesus and the things that he taught and things like that. There's four guys that did that. Uh, you know them as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they weren't apostles, they were biographers, and so we have those. We call them the Gospels, um, because that's what Mark calls it, and he was probably the first one, um, but they were biographies, and so if you had four guys sit down and try to tell the same story, it's not going to be the same. Yeah, <laughs> Pauline's, Pauline's on, on the same framework. You have four guys that are trying to tell the same story, like even if they were in the room at the time that it happened, they're all going to say it a little bit differently. And so if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all a little bit different. There's some things that are overlapping, and there are some things that are in one and not the other. There are only a couple of things that are in all four of them. And there are things that are not in all four of them, and I feel like should be. Like, communion is not in all four of the Gospels. 
in all the biographies, and, and that's one that we do like all the time. Like we, I feel like that should be in all of them, but it's not there. But one of the things that is in all four of them is John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus, and he was and he was a fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah. Like there's something that God wanted to make sure that we understood about. I sent somebody to get the people ready. And I told them beforehand that I was sending somebody to get the people ready. And so that when he showed up, they should have been ready for it. I don't know. Some, maybe, maybe, maybe you're like me. I feel like God just throws things at me out of left field. And I get blindsided by stuff. And then I get frustrated with God. Like, God, why are you making me go through this? Why have you let this happen to me? And I, and I have those conversations with him. And then I get through it, and I get to the other side, and I look back, and I'm like, oh, shoot. I should have been ready for that. Like, you were, there were other things that were happening at the time where I should have known that you were preparing me for that. And now that I've been through it, I've got the hindsight to see, like, you, you did that. And the crazy thing is, God used John the baptizer to get people ready. And, and other biographies of Jesus talk about how he was a little bit loopy, like, he, he, it's not, when you get into the language of it, it's not super clear, but he had a weird diet, and it's possible that he, he was really, really caffeinated, which is unusual for people at that time, but the way that the words get translated, he could be really, really caffeinated, and uh, liked sugar, and he dressed funny, and he lived out in the woods, like, he's kind of a goofy guy, but that's who God wanted to use to prepare people so when I look at myself in the mirror and go, God, like, what the heck are you doing? You couldn't use me to, to do anything in the world. Like, he's like, hey, you should have seen John. That guy was nuts. <clears throat> he was on, like, his 12th cup of coffee, and people are like, whoa, John, like, slow it down a little bit. I don't really get what's going on. But God used him. It wasn't the words of John that helped people get ready for Jesus. It was the word of God that came to him that he was just willing to share. And that just makes me wonder if I will prepare my neighbors to meet Jesus. Will we prepare our neighbors to meet Jesus? It's not easy if you look if you look at the quotation of Isaiah prepare the way of the Lord to make his path straight Every valley shall be filled every mountain and hill shall be made low So we're like digging mountains off and filling valleys with them to try and pave everything level like that's that's hard That's hard work. You want a tractor for that kind of work or, or, or a skid steer or something It's not easy to help people be ready to encounter Jesus, but it's a call that he's left us with in the fourth year of President Donald Trump, when Ron DeSantis was governor in Florida, when Kent Gwynn had been mayor in Ocala for nine years and Michael was pastor of Grace Church. In this moment, will we prepare our neighbors to meet Jesus? Let's continue reading. Chapter 3 and verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him. So this is, this is a bit of John's sermon. <laughs> you brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise from these stones from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. <laughs> and the crowds asked him, uh, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. And tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, <laughs> what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. And soldiers also asked him, And we, what, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. Uh, John the Baptist, um, baptizer, was a, uh, a little bit of a fire preacher. <laughs> like, he did not pull punches. When the opening of your sermon is, You brood of vipers. <laughs> Who told you that you needed to be saved from hell? <laughs> like, that's, mm, that's not how I would open things. Like, that's not how my introduction would go. But people were coming to hear from him. He had a word from the Lord, and people were coming to hear from him, that God was doing something in people's hearts that they needed to know. And so he's just saying it the way that he hears it. People are gathering by the river, and they're like, we want to be baptized by you. We want, we want to repent of our sins, but will you show us how? What, what does it mean when we repent? Like, when we turn and we put our faith in Jesus, when we trust God to forgive our sins, how then do we live? And there's some really specific application questions that are being asked here. Like, the crowd say, well, what, what do we do? And he says, hey, you should be graciously generous. If God has blessed you with two tunics, don't hold on to two tunics. Share them with somebody who's got nothing. If you've got enough food on your table... And there's people around you that are starving. Don't keep eating your food all by yourself. Invite them to the table. Share your food. If God has graciously forgiven your sins, then you can graciously forgive the, or graciously share the gifts that God's been given to you. Well, the tax collectors, they, they had kind of an interesting job because... There were people that were hired out of a community to do the work for the government, to do the tax collecting for the government. So, so Rome had this system where they would subcontract people to go and count and collect taxes, but the people that they would hire would be like your neighbors. So, so Gary's a real nice guy, but now he's working for Rome, and, and, and Gary now has to come to Don's house and say, hey, I need to collect your taxes. And, and there's some tension in that conversation because... Uh, Don knows that the government isn't paying Gary enough to actually get, uh, actually to make a living wage. And so Don knows that Gary's going to ask for more taxes than he's actually going to send back to Rome. Because Gary's got to make a little off the top if he's going to feed his family. And so this was the kind of situation where neighbors would turn against neighbors because there was greed involved. There wasn't really a cap. The Rome didn't care if you took $1,000 as long as you gave them the 500 that they were asking for. If you could get $1,000, good for you. Just make sure that we get the money we're expecting. And so, so the tax collectors come up and they're like, look, like, John, how do we repent? Like, what do we do differently if our sins are forgiven? He said, collect no more than you're authorized to do. 
John, <laughs> I don't think you know how the economics of this works. Like, everybody knows I got to tack another 12% on top of this if I'm going to be able to feed my family. And like, you're in a corrupt system. That doesn't mean that you can be corrupt in your morals. And the more that I, like, grow and, and be involved in, in landscaping and, and, and seeing the backside of some business stuff, like, I'm surprised at things, at things that get past people. And my boss asked me, he said, what do you think about this, like, dynamic? And they wanted, to char wanted us to charge the customer an extra 12%, or an extra, it wasn't 12%, an extra percentage that we were going to pay to the people who were contracting us. And I was like, I don't get that. I, like, I don't understand why they're doing that. If they're going to charge the customer that much money, why don't they just tell them that's what they're doing? And, and, and he's like, well, this is a really big contractor. If we get this contract, then we're going to have a lot more business. And, and if we want to do business with them, this is the way we got to play. And I said, I don't want to do business like that. Like, this is your company. You, you can make the call, and I work for you, and that's on you. But, but that doesn't smell right to me. And maybe that means that, that, that we run out of work next winter. <laughs> But I'm, I, I'm suspicious. I suspect that maybe God will provide for us. Like, it actually, like, it comes down to your wallet, too. Like, like, like if you're going to be honest about stuff, it's going to cost something. Like, literal money in business. And the soldiers came, and they said, what, what, what about us? We're, we're fighting for Rome. And they had a system where they'd come into town and, and they had the authority to be able to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to stay with you tonight. You better feed me. Uh, which is not a great system. You know, most people don't even like it when families show up and, and expect to stay in your house, much less when a stranger with, with a gun or a sword like, is like, hey, I'm going to stay with you tonight and you're going to feed me. <coughs> well, what about us? Hey, like, you got to do your job, they're, they're, but, but don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations. Don't accuse the people that are showing you hospitality against their will in order to get more money from them. Be content with your wages. <laughs> John, you know, you know I make beans, right? Yeah, that's the job you signed up for. Be content with your wages. Have a quiet integrity. Be the one guy on the crew that isn't complaining about getting a raise. It just makes me wonder, like, what's, what's the difference that Jesus is making in our heart? Like, those are, those are heart issues. Yeah, they're, they're practical things. They're things that, they're decisions that we have to make. But it's a heart issue, right? When it affects my wallet, that's a heart issue. Not because money is everything, but because when you can actually put a value on the value of the thing that I to say that I value, that's the test. So what's the difference that Jesus is making in our hearts? Is he leading us towards a more generous life? And are we resisting him on that? Here's the thing. We're talking about setting our life in order. The thing that I, I don't like getting to share with you is that setting life in order won't make my life all about me. Like, if we're going to go for God's plan and we set our life in order the way that he wants us to, guess what? You're not in the first seat of your life. I think this is, 
I suspect. I suspect this is why children are so difficult. Because we grow up and, and, you know, we're innately selfish as children, but we don't put it that way. We mask it in other terms. And we grow up and we start doing things and then there's kids involved. And now these people, like, are dependent on me for stuff and I've got things that I'd rather do. There, there are things I'd rather buy than food. <laughs> or school uniforms or, or whatever. And, and children have this way of highlighting that our life is not about me. That, that I am serving other people. And I think that's sometimes why we get, we get nervous when, 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 when there's volunteer opportunities at church. It's like, well, the, the, I've got, the, how's it going to fit into my schedule? And I'm not talking about, like, not having any boundaries. Like, there, I, I'm talking, yeah, healthy boundaries make sense. But, but is your life, if you want your life to be centered all on you, the Bible is not the place to look for advice. Because if you set your life in order according to God's principles, it won't make your life all about me. And this was something that John, like, got. He's a weird dude. But he understood that, that the role that he had been placed on earth was, was to communicate truth to other people. And I don't know that he necessarily liked calling people vipers. He had dirty, nasty snakes. But it was the word of God, and, 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 and that was the thing that they needed to hear at the time. And he was willing to do the thing for other people regardless of what it cost himself, regardless of what they said about him behind his back. Let's continue reading in verse 15. As the people were in expectation, so the, the whole crowd, everybody around, is in expectation, and were all questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is, who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear out his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. So the people are hearing the things that John's saying. They say, this, this baptism for repentance, that sounds like Messiah stuff. That sounds like, could, are you the Christ? No, 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 no. You, you, you've misunderstood. I'm not the Christ, but he's coming. The one who comes after me is mightier than me, and I'm not even worthy to, to, to tie his shoe for him. I'm, I'm hardly worthy to be his servant, to be in the same room as him, much less to tie his shoe. And he's coming, and when he comes, he's, he's, he's threshing out the, the, the threshing floor, and, and there's an imagery there of letting the grain get crushed, and then you throw it up with a fork, and the seed falls down, and the grain, and the, the chaff, the broken parts, that aren't good for food, those things kind of blow away. Then you rake those things up and you use that for, for um, kindling for your stoves because it burns real quick. The guy, the guy who's coming after me, I'm not worthy to untie his shoe and he's coming and he's ready to judge. Like, you thought I was hard calling you snakes? He's got his fork in his hand. He's ready to do this thing. And with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. 
all right, Luke, like, I get it. Like, you're real orderly and stuff like that. But what do you mean good news? Like, that doesn't sound like good news to me. That sounds like fire and brimstone. Sounds like a kind of thing that I wouldn't really want to wake up on a Sunday morning to listen to. What do you mean it was good news, Luke? When John talks about uh, the— when the Apostle John talks about John the baptizer, he summarizes his ministry with this sentence. John said, He must increase, and I must decrease. And the good news of judgment is, if it's coming, you probably will be relieved to hear about it before it gets here. Right? If, 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 you, if you knew, if, if I knew today that you were going to be in a car accident, a fatal car accident, like, if I didn't tell you that, <laughs> like I have the knowledge, but you don't, but you don't know, and you're just living your life, and you're going to get in the car and leave here, and I know that as soon as you walk out the door, you get in your car, you're going to go, you're going to be in a fatal car accident. If I don't tell you that, where where is my love for you been? Like it might not feel nice for me to say the words to you. If you get in the car, you're going to die. <laughs> what do you mean you're going to die? <clears throat> But if I don't share the truth with you and I let you, like, fiery inferno, whatever, like, okay, it's over. There was a time where there was a, a guy in my life who I didn't really like very much and I didn't get along with and I didn't agree with his life choices and it got to a place where it was affecting his family. And he came to me and he was whining about all of these things that are going on and how his family is... is, um, is in this trouble and I knew it was because there was some dishonesty in some other areas like the, the dishonesty I could see the connection how the dishonesty was affecting his paycheck over here and I didn't say anything and I left that conversation and, and I'm you know going through my week and God said you don't love him and I said of course I love him like with church stuff like love I feel fine about him I didn't actually really like him very much but of course I love him like, no, you don't love him. If you're not willing to tell him the truth about what's going on in his life, then you don't actually have any love for him. And if you give him good and mushy feelings, loving feelings that we might call love, but you don't share with him the truth, then you've really just made him feel good about the bad situation he's in and not given him any hope to get out. So there's times where we have to say something hard to people. And there's, there are people that love to say mean things to other people. But that's, that's, I don't think that's John the baptizer. He's saying, look, I love you guys enough to know, or I love you guys enough to tell you that the judgment's coming. And I know you don't want to hear it, but it's coming. So let me share this truth out of love. So are our words embedded with truth and love? It's, and it's sticky to parse that out. Like maybe I don't have the, the response, or I don't have the responsibility to share with you. Maybe I don't have the authority. Like we're not good enough friends for me to say these things to you. Then that means I've got to do the hard work of being friends with you before I can tell you the thing. Maybe. But are our words embedded with truth and love? Are our comments online embedded with truth and love? Or are we reactionary and angry? Because we can be. 
setting our life in order won't make my life all about me. As a matter of fact, God will put you in other people's lives and use you to minister to them. Even you. John was a little nutty, too. Pray together. God, would you give us wisdom? Because there's a line here to walk. Truth and love. Um, God, we can say mean things that could hurt people. And we can say true things out of anger. we need your wisdom we need your discernment we need to be led by your spirit we need your words so would you draw us to yourself would you give us that desire in our hearts to 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 know you would you use us in our weakness